0: So I want you to turn in your Bibles. Let's just get right into this. I got a decent amount of time. Uh, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Today we're going to be looking at um, verses 6 through 14, but I want to give a, a brief summary on the few verses we have covered already. Sort of just to give us context, so that we know where we are with the text today. Romans chapter six. Say amen. When you find it, and the title is up on your screen. You might, you may want to make note of that. Freedom to live. Freedom to live. It's one of the, perhaps the prevailing theme, one at least, that prevails in my mind concerning this chapter. We're not going to read them yet, read our verses yet. I want to I, just, I want to give you a brief summary uh, concerning this particular text, concerning this particular chapter. And in this chapter, we've been reading it. We we entered into it last week and we found out that Paul seemingly takes on an issue connected with an abuse of grace. And I don't know if you know this. I'm, uh, I'm sure you do. But since the very beginning of time, mankind has always been abusing the grace of God. It's nothing new. It's not a new concept. It's something that unfolds in the New Testament. Uh, because God allows us, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, using individuals like Paul the Apostle... To shed light on the importance of our salvation. To shed light on the importance of our service to God. Um, Because grace should not be abused in any sense. And so when we look at this, Paul begins this particular passage with a very serious and yet very important question. Verse 1, chapter 6 of Romans says, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And we know that the answer is absolutely not. We should not continue in sin. And we understand the substance of this, at least in terms of the way Paul presented it from verses 2 and 3, Romans chapter 6. He supports his statement by stating that because we died to sin, in other words, because we have Repented of our sins, we shouldn't be living in it any longer. Amen. Somebody, if we've made a decision for Jesus Christ, if somebody shared the gospel with us, and we realize the nature of our, the the nature of sin within us, and we've gotten to the place, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. If you realize after hearing the gospel that you need Jesus Christ in your heart, that you need Jesus in your life, and you took that, that important, that all important step of repenting before God and accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then that should be meaningful to every believer that walks this planet. And as such, we should not make light of the issues That arise in our lives. Issues with regard to sin. Sin should not be toiled with. We shouldn't play around with it. We shouldn't have pet sins that we live with. It's not to say that we could ever be perfect this side of heaven. Because that's just not a reality. But we should live intentional lives for Jesus Christ. If in fact we've given him our hearts. If in fact we've given him our lives. Somebody once said, Christianity is not determined by what you know, but by who you know, and how we devote our lives to Him. And if that's the case, and I believe that it is, then faith is about intimacy with God. Which is what Paul, I believe, is describing, or what Paul is writing about here in this particular text. And along with that, he's telling us that in Christ... We actually have the liberty. Not only is it important for you and I not to live our lives in sin. But in this text, I believe it's very clear. That Paul the Apostle is telling us that we actually have the capacity. Get this. The capacity to walk away from sin. I didn't say to be sinless. I'm talking about in practice. That because of this position that we have in Christ Jesus, we can actually walk away from sin in terms of its practice in our lives. And that we no longer have to be ensnared or enslaved by it. And in verse 5, look at verse 5 for a moment. In verse 5, Paul presents to us a fundamental principle in regards to what I just finished stating. The verse reads, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we should certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. He's telling us that we have been raised from the dead and given new life if we truly have given ourselves over to Him. And that new life includes what? It includes victory over sin. And I thank God for it. And also, it's because of the fact that we are dead to it. We are dead to sin because of this life in Christ. How many know Jesus here today? Then the Bible encourages us to know, to understand clearly that we are dead to sin in both principle and practice. We're going to talk about that in a few moments. But it's this wonderful experience that we have in the Lord. And as a result, one of my favorite verses, I've said that many times about a lot of different verses, right? But I love this one especially. I love this one. You might want to make note of this one. And it's here in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 1. Now we're talking about our position in Christ Jesus. And if you don't have this verse memorized, I encourage you to do so. I encourage you to memorize it. It says, Therefore, there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. It's a, it's, a, it's a description, in my mind, of our position in Christ Jesus. But it's because of that position that we should yield our lives over to, to serving God intentionally and to not practice sin in our, in our lives. Look at verses um, 6 through 14. We're going to read these right now. Romans 6. 6 through 14. The Bible reads. You got it? Say amen. Amen. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. I love that. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You should highlight that one. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. You should highlight that one too. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Don't go highlighting all of it. Just highlight a couple of things. Not like my sister Angie over here. I told her the other day, she just might as well open up her Bible and pour ink all over it. Because she's got everything highlighted. I'm sorry, Angie, I just couldn't help it. I just couldn't help it. She's highlighted every word in all the pages. I'm like, really? Just you know just throw poor poor gallon of ink all over it i'm i'm sorry angie now i want us to look at 2 verses 3 verses here i want us i want us to look at verses 6 through 8 here for a moment but i want you to listen to this principle the one principle that stands out in these verses i want to preface it by saying this these verses touch on the idea concerning Get this, concerning the capacity we have to live out our faith. The capacity that we have to actually live out our faith. It has to do with this fact that we are no longer enslaved to sin. That we are no longer held bondage to sin. And that's this miracle that took place place at the cross. What Jesus did for you and I. And this capacity has been given to us expressly because of the transformation that took place within us after we gave our hearts to Jesus Christ. Or after we repented of our sins. This is not an application that every soul can make on this planet. This is not even an application that everybody who comes to church can make in their lives. Because not everybody knows Jesus Christ personally. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, actually knows Him. The main idea here, at least perhaps with regard to previous passages, is this idea concerning repentance. I always circle back around to that because that's big to me in my heart. I think it's the reason why so many people are not changing. Not Not us, not us, certainly not us. And people down the street, in the church down, is the reason why so many believers are not changing. Because there has not been true repentance. And I'm not talking about fireworks and all that, 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 I'm not, it's sensationalism. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm talking about fundamental transformation that takes place when a person truly gives their life over to Jesus Christ. You can fool me, we can fool one another, but we cannot fool God. And it is so important to recognize the need for repentance. I think, I think, I'm sorry for belaboring this, but it's just, this is a tender spot in my heart. Especially all those years of traveling and going to so many different churches, so many different cultures. And going to churches where there's absolutely, absolutely no life within them. None and the freakish things that are taking place within the four walls of God's house. Because we have not repented of our sins. I think that's fundamental. Right? And I think I can say that here because you are, some of you are more conservative than I am. But I think it's fair. I think it needs to be said. Right? Have you ever gone to some place and heard a message? Or perhaps tune into a, 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 a YouTube video by your favorite preacher and never hear the word repentance? And never hear the word sin mentioned? I'm not saying we have to go there all the time. But it should be the, the base point for who we are in Jesus Christ. And when we nullify that, when we cancel that out, what, what is there in our lives? Right? Nothing. In my mind, nothing. So listen to the principle. Let's read these verses again. 6 through 8. It says that we know that our old self, our old self. "...was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing, so that we would, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for the one who has died <clears throat> has been set free from sin." Highlight those words, set free, or has been set free from sin. Now, if we had died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. And here's, here's what Paul does in verse 8. Look at verse 8 again. I'm not going to read it. Well, I'm going to read a part of it. But Paul confirms this principle that I've been mentioning to you so far. He says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. He's talking about, I should preface this by saying what we, what we talked about last week. Last week we, we talked about our position in Christ. Or being dead to sin in principle, right? That's our position in Christ. Today we're going to highlight the second point. Being dead to sin in practice. And that's where Paul is moving with this, with this conversation. And so he's talking about our disposition or our capacity to live out faith. Have you ever thought about why it is or what makes it possible for you and I to live out our faith? It's not just simply because you understand a thing or two concerning the Word of God. It's because of who you are in Christ Jesus. It's because of the decision you made to know Him. And as a result, He freed you from the bondage to sin. And we can actually live out gospel truth as a result of that. Amen, somebody? I I think that's fair to say. The idea is that we live because He lived. Paul says that he died once for all, right? And and as a result of the fact that we are dead in Christ Jesus, because he rose, we too have risen as well. We are no longer in bondage any longer. Put this verse down, Acts 17, 28. Don't go there, I want to just read it to you. Acts 17, 28. It says, in him we live and move and have our Being. Did you get that? In Him we live and move and have our being. It's talking about our disposition in Christ. The capacity we have to actually move in a direction that pleases the Lord our God. Amen, somebody. When you consider those outside of these walls who do not know Jesus, they do not have this capacity. They do not have the ability um, to actually live out a life that is pleasing to God, that is honorable to God. No, quite to the contrary. The Bible establishes clearly in the New New Testament that the wrath of God is upon them. That the wrath of God actually rests upon them because they do not know Jesus. Can everybody enter heaven? Regardless of their position, regardless of who they are. No. The answer is no. Not everybody is going to heaven. Not everybody is saved. Not everybody knows Him. No. I, I wish I wish it were the case. Like you and I, that everybody just heeds the voice of God. The Proverbs and the Psalms over and over again declare the wisdom of God cries out in the streets. It cries out in the marketplaces, at the entrance and, and exits. Of the city gates, the wisdom of God cries out. What does that mean? It means that God is trying to draw mankind to him. He took that ultimate step. When he descended from heaven, took upon this form, and went to the cross for the sins of mankind. It's a glorious thing. But the flip side of it is that it's so unfortunate that not everybody appreciates that. Some people actually despise that. Get that away from me. I want nothing to do with your God. You know anybody like that? Hmm. Let's move on. So, we're talking about the amazing result that exists that's a reality in our lives because, get this, because here's the principle because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can live this out because of the resurrection. Of Jesus Christ. And Paul explains how this works. During conversion. Look at verses. I want to share three things with you. In this regard. Um, And they're going to be taken from verse 6. Number one. Paul says that our old self. Was crucified with him. You see that? Verse 6. Our old self was crucified. With him. That is our old nature. And everything that comprises Our old nature, our character and the sinful personality, our attitudes and our passions, etc. That part of us has died with him at repentance. And it means that as a result, we are free from the bondage of sin. I'm going to repeat that as often as I possibly can because it's important to note what happens in the life of an individual when he or she repents. I just love that. Number two, and as a result, a result of as a result of this crucifixion, that somebody Jesus trying to get a hold of somebody. He's trying to get a hold of somebody. He said, "Pay attention, pay attention. Forget about that game tonight." Lord have mercy. As a result of our repentance, he says, "Our body of sin has been what? Has been." The King James uses the word has been mortified, has been made subject, or has been cancelled out. It's been cancelled out. And as a result, I'm free to live to please God. That's an extraordinary thing. When was the last time you thought about that? What makes my salvation a reality? What makes it a reality for me to actually live for my God? What enables me to get up in the morning and say, praise the Lord? What enables me to go through my day giving thanks to God and actually living my life for Him with intentionality? What makes that possible? Paul is highlighting those things here in this passage. So, to what end? What is the end result of these first two points? Number 3, verse 6 as well, it says, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. In other words, our enslavement to sin has been broken. It's been broken. I've said it like three times already. I'm going to keep saying it. Our enslavement to sin has been broken. It does not mean, and we're going to get there in a few moments, it does not mean that compromise cannot enter our lives. Because we compromise every single day, right? I don't know about you, but I got issues. My issues got issues sometimes, right? Right? And then having to, you know... Anyway. We... <laughs> Watch it, Bonnie. Watch it. I know what you're thinking, Bonnie. So we, we got issues, right? So, thankfully, our position, of, our position in Christ is a glorious thing, right? But we can compromise our lives. And we can in hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I think that's important to understand, right? So he says, again, this third point is taken from verse three, I mean verse six, says, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And this is echoed again in verse seven. Look at verse seven. It says, For the one who has died has been set free from sin. The one who has died has been set free from sin. Is it talking about a physical death? Right? I mean, that's a moot point, right? I don't have to go there because you know exactly what the, what the passage is talking about. This physical death is not required in order to truly live for the Lord. That's just, that's just dumb, right? But what's he, what's he talking about? It's important. We talked about it last week. We talked about it here today already. He's talking about repentance. He's referring to a group of people who have given their lives over to God through Christ Jesus. That's what he's talking about. The group of people who have made a commitment to Jesus. I surrender all. I give you my life. I am identifying with Jesus Christ. I believe he died. I believe he was buried. And I believe he rose again on the third day for my sin. And I'm giving my life over to him. I I died right there. I ceased to live from my own standpoint. I repented. I repented, and those individuals, it says, have been set free from sin. Here's a paraphrase: the saved person is no longer in contempt. I wish I had time to talk about the court system because you know I know a little bit about the court system, right? <laughs> We're not going to go there today, but I want you to consider a verse. I want you to go with me to Psalms 32. I want you to see this. The saved person is no longer in content. Psalms 32. Say amen when you find it. I want you to see this. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to do what Roy did a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to have to come in here with a little leaflet like this or something and give you something to write on because, you know, I got to keep you active. Right? And I know you like it. It's a work in progress, y'all. It's a work in progress. I can't figure it out. I'm trying to get this information from Roy. He's just not helping me out fast enough. You know what his philosophy is? You know he's mentoring me, right? You know what his philosophy is? If you don't ask, I'm not going to tell you. That's his philosophy. So he's got me pulling it out of his mouth. (laughs) He said, I appreciate your tone right now. He said, this coming week, we're going to ride 100 miles for that. That's what he's saying. He could ride 100 miles. I'm, I'm good for 30. Then I'm complaining about my rear end and everything else. The guy's got like bionic legs and I, don't, I, just don't, I just don't get it. Anyway, Psalms 32, verses 1 and 2. It says, blessed is the one whose sin is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Wow, that's that's our amazing this is a, this is a, our amazing story in Jesus. Let me just move on before I fall apart. Our amazing story in Jesus Christ, but that's not everything in the text. Paul goes on to share just a little bit more. About what makes this all a reality in our lives. And in the next few verses, he highlights the significance of the resurrection. And essentially, he's telling us that we have life because of it. That we have life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. What a wonderful picture of the sovereignty of God at work in the unfolding of his redemptive plan at the cross for you and I. Amen, somebody. He laid his life down once and for all. Conquering death, and according to verse 9, death no longer has dominion over him. That's, that's fundamental. That's powerful. What's he saying? Exactly what I just said, right? Duh. But he's, he's talking about this resurrection. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Let's consider this further. His resurrection is the reason why we have life. Did you know that? His resurrection is the reason why we have life. And without it, there is no freedom. Without the resurrection, there is no grace. Without the resurrection, uh, there is no mercy, no meaning, no purpose to our lives. There is no life without the resurrection. There is nothing, nothing is afforded us if the tomb were still occupied. Did you know that? There are a lot of religions that actually teach and preach... That the tomb that Jesus, first of all, that Jesus never actually really existed. I've done the research. I've considered the testimony of atheists. The strongest of atheists. And fundamentally, none of them deny the historicity of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about the resurrection and the reason for which he came. I'm talking about his humanity. No sound Atheists if, if, if you can actually group those two words together right hello but 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 no learned individual like the atheists they're, they're these people are educated, none of them that i've read on actually deny the historicity that Jesus Christ was a man who actually lived. It just cannot be not be denied it, it just cannot let 's move on. I want you to turn to turn to Corinthians, 1st Corinthians, because I want you to see something. I want you to see with your own eyes concerning this principle regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's nothing to cling to without the resurrection, without the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not like some religions who actually teach he rose only spiritually. Who is that, Dave? That Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. They deny the physical resurrection. They believe He rose again in spirit only. Denying the physical resurrection is is too. We're going to see here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Chapter 15. And I want you to begin with me at verse 14. We're going to be 14, 15, and then 17 through 19. 14, 15... 17 through 19 if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ and if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you are still, Lord have mercy, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Thank God for the empty tomb. Amen, somebody. Thank God for the empty tomb. Look at, look at the board. Look at your screen. Look, look at your screen. Thank God for the empty tomb. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Let's move on. I want you to look at verse 11. But just remember what we just talked about. Number one, we talked about the fact that we are dead to sin in practice. We have this this capacity... To actually live out the gospel because of who we are in Christ Jesus. Because of our identity in Christ. And this idea also concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His resurrection has made it all possible. And the two points that I've been talking about between this week and last week, the two major points are highlighted in this one particular verse right here. It says, verse 11... So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, and what? And alive to God in Christ Jesus. Number one, dead to sin in principle, that's what it's referring to. In, in, In other words, put this down on your notes. He's talking about our justification. We can actually make the declaration today, I am justified, or I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I can we can make those declarations because of this. It also means it, it of course we've talked about this already. It's pointing out our position in Christ. We are dead to sin in principle. In other words, my nature has been transformed. I am born again. And I am a child of God. As a result of it. But the second point is this. That we are dead to sin in practice. And that's why. Paul the Apostle says that we are alive to God. In Christ Jesus. In other words. I can live a holy life. I can live a holy life. I am free to do so. Because my bondage to sin Has been broken. This is our disposition. The first one is our position. This one is our disposition. We can walk in newness of life because of it. Now this second point. Dead to sin in practice. Is covered in the next few verses. So I want you to remember that. This idea of being dead to sin. This idea that I can live out the gospel. That I can walk this truth out. Paul talks about it. Oh, he expounds on it in the next few verses. Look at verse 12 with me. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. I'm going to read it again. Let not sin reign, R-E-I-G-N, in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He's saying that we do not have to allow sin... To control us, to rule our lives, to have dominion over us, to have its way within us. Because if we do, our evil desires will enslave us. And when I say enslave us, I'm referring to compromise only. Okay? Compromise only. That's important to note there. We've been set free from the bondage of sin in Christ Jesus. The enslavement now that ensues in our lives is this thing called compromise. You can actually grieve the Holy Spirit living within you if we do not do the things that we should be doing with our lives, right? Have you ever experienced that sort of truth in your own personal life? Think about that. We try to get by, we try to do the right thing, but from time to time because of our circumstances we have trouble with them and we end up backpedaling we end up backsliding in some way shape or form right because of this compromise anybody ever feel like that i'm not talking about you presently right have you ever past tense have you ever felt like that how many know what i'm talking about at least let me see your hand please work with me people work with me right <laughs> When we compromise, if we fail to yield our lives over to God, things happen, right? Things happen. We, we end up, the, the world ends up looking our way. They consider us. Everybody has a conscience. And, and listen, we got all eyes on us. The world is looking in on us. They want to see. They want to see if we, most of them have this ulterior motive, right? Ha ha! I got you. They want, to, they want to critique. They want to criticize. They want to condemn. But there are a lot of people. They see the hope that we live with. And man, hmm, is that real? Is it viable? Is it, is it? Is it a reality? Is it just a facade? Are they just going through the motions? Or is there something really there? And it's the reason why many people come to Christ. Because they see the difference in our own lives. Amen. How many of you have ever... Been a witness to something like that happening in your own life. Somebody on the outside looking in, checking you out, especially at work. And say, why is it that you, you I heard what the boss said to you. And somehow you just kept your head up high. You, you're doing exactly what you know you should be doing. Even, even though he or she was wrong. You ever been there? Oh, all the time. All the time. All the time. And the world is looking in, and they, they want a reason. That's, a re- that's why Paul goes there. I think it was Paul who said that. Um, anyway, I digress. Time is getting away from me. So, let me skip that. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. And I want to give you three thoughts on this one particular verse. It says, Do not present your members to sin. As instruments for righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, I want to preface this and I want to come right back around to some degree and share what I've already shared. Reiterate some of it. What are we talking about? What's the principle we're talking about here? That we are dead to sin in practice. That we have this capacity. It's an innate capacity because of Christ in us. This rejuvenation, a.k.a. born-again experience that we have, um, have experienced, right? When we made a decision for Jesus Christ. We have a new nature and as a result we can live, we can do the right thing as a result of it. And Paul says here that because of that... Make sure you are yielding your life over to God. These members, the, your, your body, this physical experience. Just because you are saved doesn't mean it gives you the right to live the way you want to live. The way you used to live. No, on the contrary. It's because you know Jesus that we have to press forward and live a life that is honorable to God. Number one, one of three things. Number one, we have the liberty to choose life in case you're taking down some notes we have the liberty to choose life from that verse 13 paul says do not present your ne- your members i'm sorry do not present your members to sin it implies choice and he's admonishing us to do the right thing consider this verse Write it down. I'm going to read it. Don't have to go there. I want to keep rolling. 1 Corinthians 10.13 Most of us are acquainted with that verse. 1 Corinthians... Huh? What do you see there? No, no, the the top one. The top one. We have the liberty to choose life. 1 Corinthians 10.13 Thank you, Shirley. Um, It says, No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape. He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Because of this nature that we have today, I can choose to live life. Amen, somebody? I can choose to honor God with my life. And that's Christianity right there. That's Christianity. Where we understand these truths, and we make this firm decision to move in the direction uh, that pleases God. I I just love that. The second point from this verse. Our responsibility is to be righteous. Our responsibility is... Is to be righteous. Paul says, "But present yourselves to God, and your members to God." That's also verse thirteen. Present your members to God, and your m- present your- yourselves to God, and your members. I think I need better glasses. And your members to and your members to God. There's this admonition. Listen, take yourself and yield it to God. Don't be content with some, some notion of Christianity here. Some experience from the past. And despise living for Him for the rest of your life. He you said, no, 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 pump your brakes, stop, slow down. Understand the responsibility that is to be a child of God. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. It says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Mm. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There's going to be judgment in the future. Now, I'm thankful, right? You, you know it. I mean, I don't really have to go there. But just in case somebody doesn't misunderstand what I'm saying here, um, we're not going to stand before God at the great at, stand before God at the at the great white throne judgment. That's just not going to be the case, right? But just because we are no longer condemned does not mean that God is not going to hold us accountable to some degree. I don't know how it's going to take place. I know there are going to be rewards given at the judgment seat of Christ, right? My place, I don't know about you, by the way, but I got my, listen, don't don't hate either, don't hate. But my mansion is right next door to the Lord's throne. I'm just saying, don't, you you take it up with God if you're around the corner or down the alley someplace, right? You take it up with God, right? But I'm right next to the, right next to the Lord. But listen, we're going to stand before God, and we're going to give some account, we got to give an account, right? It says it. Every thought, every word, every, everything that we do in this body, we have to testify. We've got to give an account one day. And the third point concerning verse 13 is this. We must always remember our identity in Christ. Paul says, and I quote, as those who have been brought from death to life. Yes, yes. That's this wonderful transformation that takes place. He does all that, right? We we have no saying. He has done that in us, right? But I chose to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It implies choice, at least in my mind, right? Resulting in our transformation, and I think to God that's that's important. Deuteronomy four, verse nine says this. <clears throat> It says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. It's talking about our identity. I'm a child of God. No matter where I go, no matter who I talk to, I'm going to declare myself to be a child of God. How about this? Have you ever had someone you know or somebody you don't know? You had an encounter with somebody and they stopped and ask you what your sign is. How many ever had that? We talked about that last week, didn't we? What, 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 what is your sign? right? Have you ever had anybody ask you that? And they, right away, they want me to say something like Pisces or Aquarius or something like that. And I say, the cross. That's my said the cross, the cross. They said, huh? He said, no, no, your sign, your sign. I said, yeah, I, I know what you asked me. It's, it's the cross. What in the world do you mean? And ha, I got you. And it gives me an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. You've got to find a way in somehow, right? And, and, but anyway, the, the, the fundamental point of their question, they want to get at They want to get out, okay, we'll sign all you, that way they can sort of understand me, why I am the way that I am. Really? Really? Listen, I'm a child of God. You want to understand something about me? Let me talk to you about Jesus, right? Because that is my identity. That's what we're talking about right here, in this point. My identity is that I'm a blood-bought child of God. Amen, somebody. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 14, last verse, and I'm done. It says, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. I'm going to read that again. For sin will have no dominion over you. You you need to highlight that. No dominion. Angie, please. Your page is already read. Don't, Don't do anything else to it. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. That's, listen, that's a loaded, loaded, loaded verse. And, and frankly, I don't have the capacity. One day we're going to let my, my boy Roy come up here and we're going to let him run a couple weeks and, and expound on that. See, what's that? In other words, be quiet. I need to stop. I need to not, not go there. So we've covered this before in previous messages in chapter 5. We've covered it in chapter 4 and chapter 3. I'm not going to go over it, but I want to say this in context concerning this. It means that although sin can cause compromise in our lives, we are nevertheless free to live out gospel truth without condemnation because, Romans 8, 1, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set set us free from the law of sin and death we can live the life not just understand it we can actually live the christian life number one because we are dead to sin in principle this position in christ and number two because we are dead to sin in practice as i live out my life i will make some mistakes But because of the blood of Jesus, because of my position in Christ Jesus, I am not held in contempt. That's why we read Psalms 32 verses 1 and 2. It's this wonderful gift of God's grace. Is there anything better than the grace of God? And nothing at all? And no, you you seem sure. Amen. I like that. I like that. Can I get the worship team if, if you guys are still here? Stand with me, church. Stand with me. We are done. Think about those wonderful truths. Think about what Paul is laying out to us in these chapters so far. And this is powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. We have the liberty to live for God because of Jesus Christ. Amen? Pray with me, bow your heads for a moment as our worship team gets set. Let us pray together, let us pray together. Bow your head with me. Let's give God thanks. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this wonderful, wonderful truth we have discovered today from Romans chapter 6. It's some powerful stuff. Father, it's loaded, it's loaded, it's loaded. It's loaded. There's so much there. So much to understand. So much to to wrap our minds around. We thank you for its truth. It's powerful. You set us free. When you died, you died to truly, truly set us free indeed. Today, those of us who know you personally, Lord God are free indeed. There's no bondage. There's no condemnation. There's only freedom. And we can choose life. And today, Lord God, in your presence, by your Holy Spirit, we choose life. And I pray, people, God, you make that declaration. Keep your heads bowed. But make that declaration with me in your heart. Make that declaration in your heart. He's asking you to choose life. Choose life. Appreciate the salvation Appreciate the righteousness, the justification, and all those wonderful things. Appreciate it. But now appreciate what He desires of you and I. And that is to live for Him. To honor Him. Search your heart right now. It's just a brief challenge. Search your hearts right now. Do not allow this moment to escape you. It's an opportunity for reconciliation if you need that in your life. I, I don't know where you are with your faith. I don't know what your struggles are, but I know you're struggling. We we because we struggle. Living life as a believer in this body is not an easy task. <clears throat> but God is asking you to be faithful. Yield your heart to Him. He knows what you've done. Don't keep it from Him. He know He knows where you've been. He knows what you, what you're capable of. He knows the plans that you have when you leave church here today. Some of those plans may not necessarily be good in his eyes. He knows already. Give your heart over to him. Take 30 seconds right now to pray in your heart to him. And the worship team will lead us in song. Mmm.
1: His body pounds
0: Thank you so much for service today. Thank you for <clears throat> allowing us to come into your presence. Thank you for teaching us today about the reality of salvation in our lives. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for that name. Thank you for the blood, your love and everything else that has been afforded to us. We bless your holy name. May you bless us, Father, as we leave this place going in our separate ways. May you protect us. And until we meet again, Father, may you be with us in a very mighty way. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. 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 Um, So that you know, today uh, we have a congregational prayer meeting. You are welcome to come. You are invited. Please, uh, we're going to be meeting in the room over here to my left, to your right. Um, That first Sunday school, not the Sunday school room, but the first room right here in the breezeway. Please come on out. God bless you guys.